on the ride of a lifetime. I'm on a ship that's sailing to uncharted shore, and I won't be coming back here. Live from Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to try and worship God in spirit and in truth. To uh, keep up with what we've done in the past few weeks, we're going to start off with a prayer by Galen. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. I ask thee to protect us through this night. No harm comes to us. Please help Sean do a good message tonight. And I pray, hope and pray, no harm comes to us through the whole month of September. October will come and we'll be just fine. In the meantime, please be with Mary and the girls too down in California. No harm comes to them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, my sister. Love Gaylene. Gaylene's been with us for quite a while. I appreciate the prayer because it is September 1st, the beginning of the end for many of us. Um, there's only one last month left here on earth, according to many people online. And uh, books have been sold. Hype has flooded. Something big is going to happen, mostly due to the convergence of the Jewish holidays and motions in the stars and heavens. Is the, this the end of the world? Is Jesus coming back? What does the Bible actually say about this? We've invited Dr. Don K. Preston to join us on Friday, September 11th and Saturday, September 12th to answer these things. Please join us here at the Heart of the Matter Studios and also we will be streaming this. So Friday from 7 to 9, you can turn on the same way you turn on the show here, and you can watch from anywhere in the world, and then also from 9 to 11 a.m. on Saturday morning. Now, we're going to replay uh, part of those things that uh, Dr. Preston get, uh, speaks to us about on the show later, so if you can't watch, then that's okay. Uh, also understand that um, he's not going to be talking about the same thing on Friday night and Saturday. Friday night's going to be a certain area of discussion and topic and Saturday and we'll have Q&A in both of those. So refreshments will be served. Dr. Don is one of the world's most foremost experts in the study of end times. He can answer the hard questions that people have like, well, what about the millennium? Or what about the two people who are supposed to lay dead in the streets? What about the new temple? What about the antichrist? What about the third of the fishes in the sea dying? What about, what about, what about? He will be able to answer those questions. And uh, I really don't care one bit what's happening in this world 
because the world is going to ebb and flow. We're going to have tragedies. We're going to have things we possibly could destroy ourselves. I, I understand that. I, I don't deny this. I mean, it's certainly possible that the United States is going to experience economic decline. It's happened in, in the past. But the real question is, when does the Bible say Jesus would return and when the end of the world or when the end of the age will be? I firmly believe if we uh, enter into decline, whether it's worldwide decline or U.S. decline, you won't be seeing Jesus as part of it. I firmly believe that. We could enter decline, but not that. So why is this so important? Because if believers, if we can start to clear away the mania surrounding the futurist position uh, or the dispensationalist claims, we can start focusing on what it means to be real Christians and put that kind of aside. The Bible Answer Man said, non-preterists need to really wake up. That's Hank Hennegraaff. He said this on his show the other day. They need to wake up. He really got down on non-preterists. So consider this stuff. I'm not alone in this. So uh, Dr. Don K. Preston, and uh, also don't forget on October 2nd, join us here Friday night uh, for a little celebration, the thank God Jesus didn't come back and kill us party. Uh, that's October 2nd. The month of September will have come and gone. If there's stores that are open and food products to buy, we'll have some here for us to eat. If not, we'll just eat each other. <laughs> 79 Friday, October 2nd. <laughs> and uh, with that, how about a moment from the Word? And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. I was talking to my friend Richard today about this show called The Walking Dead, which I've actually been watching and enjoying. I'm not really not into anything like that, but I've been actually watching that. And uh, I've been in Utah for quite a while alone, and I got to do something at night. And I just had images of <laughs> October 2nd worldwide famine and people showing up here at the at the party and tearing each other's arms off and munching on them anyway sorry about that we're working our way through the books of the new testament and for passages that support subjective christianity we're in philippians tonight let's start at verse six paul writes being confident of this very thing that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Who will perform this good work in us? He will. Not us. He will perform it. He will do it in us by His Spirit. Speaking of unity and not the division that exists between believers because of differences in doctrine, Paul writes in Philippians 1, 27, 28, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And the only way for that to occur, for this type of unity, one faith, one mind, this love, is for the subjective approach to take hold. Uh, it doesn't have to be the way I've described it, it can be the way it naturally happens, but it has to start taking hold. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, and we'll wrap it up with this and one more. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, 
If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, let us esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then finally, uh, Philippians 2, 14, 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. We talk a lot about uh, a lot of things at, at campus and uh, our morning uh, service and our afternoon service, things come up. Afterward, people have all different beliefs. We have people who certainly are futurists that come to campus. We have people who are certainly, most of them are Trinitarians. We have people who wonder about baptism, the gifts of the Spirit. We have people who think healing is going on right now and tongues. And we have other people who say there's no way. They are complete secessionists when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. These things all abide. Why? Because we won't dispute about them. We discuss them. We talk about them. We let it go. Without disputing is that you may be blameless and harmless. The sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights to the world. And finally, Philippians 4, 2. I beseech Euodice and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. The same mind is based on faith in him and love and not on divisionary doctrinal disputes that people allow to divide them over. With that, how about we uh, go and have a word of prayer. Even though Galen opened with one, I'm of such a habit, I have to say one. Lord, I just pray you'll help me, and I'm grateful for Gaylene's prayer, and help me to uh, understand the things you want me to say as we continue on tonight. Bless our volunteers and staff, and in Jesus' name, amen. All right, prior to my venture into Christianity, really caring about the truth of Jesus, I was kind of a self-taught student, and I'm not the smartest tool in the shed, but I've been blessed by God, again by God, not my own goodness, but I've been able to see kind of grand themes um, in the presence of the sum of their parts. So um, I'm really horrible at business management or ministry, and it's not my forte. Thank God for others in the ministry. But present me with a historical narrative or uh, a body of teachings, whether it be in the New Testament or old or combined, and give me time, because I'm not, like I said, it takes me time, I'll show you kind of the interconnectedness, the universal theme, even the flaws in the collective. 
as, as they come forth. Now, certainly I'm not always right. In fact, sometimes I think I see things and they're not there, admittedly. But if given the time to take in the facts or history or narrative, I typically will discover uh, the zeitgeist, the spirit of the subject that we're talking about, you know, and uh, flaws included. So I think the ability uh, is a spiritual thing. I do which automatically subjects my saying that to being mocked by the anti-mystical world. The people who say there is no mysticism in this world, it's all empirical data, it's all science, any appeals to faith-based mysticism is a joke. So you automatically get scoffed at if you admit that you think you have a spiritual gift of some sort. When I was in my early 20s, I read Thoreau, Civil Disobedience and Walden, and uh, he provided me with some great lines that summarized uh, uh, this thing that I believe that I uh, have from God and one that has remained is there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil uh, to one who is striking at the root. In other words, a thousand people will be going after just what looks like the appearance of, of evil. Every leaf, every branch, go at it with your knife. But, but to one person who's going to go after the root. So let me give you uh, some examples of how this has operated in my religious life. When I was LDS and was trained that the church was the only true church on the face of the earth, and other people have experienced this, I bought it from the heart. Uh, I bought it, especially on the mission, but began really at an early age to see cracks into this claim that, that we all made from the pulpit that this is the only true church on the face of the earth. These cracks weren't based on challenges to doctrine or... or, or uh, condemnatory information I later learned about Mormon history. These cracks appeared in my head upon witnessing these kind of disconnects between the institution's claims of being true and the realities that surrounded what was going on. So I remember as a child saying the church is true, but thinking there was something wrong with the idea that you shake hands with the spirit to find out where it came from. I remember that's what Joseph Smith had taught, that if you want to know the origins of the spirit, shake its hand. And I remember thinking, you know, that little crack, I'm going to store that away somewhere. There's something weird about that. And, and, then, and then the church is true, I would, I would hear as a teen, but I couldn't understand why. This for the life of me plagued me as a teen. And then after when I would chaperone these dances, is that on Saturday nights, they would gather us together and they would, and I at the time thought, wow, you know, it's still good, it's fun. And we would be dancing in the dark to feel like making love. And the, my lust is going through the roof. And then they would close with a prayer that the Spirit would be with us. These, these, these things were like, what is going on? The church is true, but why do I want to take that chick out into my car right now? They just fed that in me. They fed it. And yet, you know... The church is true. I tearfully taught in Pennsylvania with my clipboard to people. But then they treated the mission as a business. We were responsible for our numbers and our baptisms and how many. And then when I was put in as a district leader and the zone leader and all that stuff, you know, you're following up like a business and reporting to the president who's encouraging you to up your numbers. And of course, I ultimately left Mormonism seeing it for what it is. And it's an institution that worships man by using feigned worship of God to achieve its objectives. I think that is what Mormonism is. It worships the institution of man 
and all that that includes, while using God as the thing to keep, as the vehicle to keep that man-centered thing going. Uh, when I left the system, which was full of people and memories, I love, I still love them. The memories, the dances, I love those. But I promised that I would strive to be one who hacks at the root instead of just swinging wildly at the branches that will do nothing. So in comes Christ into my life and with him what I thought was Christianity, Christ Christianity. I thought that was it. And so I dove in and I went to school full time, Calvary Chapel, and I served in ministry full time for two years. And I listened to every tape through the Bible Chuck Smith had to teach. Every single one. It took me a year, three hours a day listening to Chuck Smith teach the Bible. And I heard and learned things, wonderful insights on the Bible. I hold it up as a, a great as, 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 as the greatest book ever. I love it. I spend more time in the Bible than anything else. But in the teachings of the evangelical church, I begin to hear the, and see those cracks again. You know? And it, you, if you're honest with yourself, you can't help it if you're a seeker of truth. I'm a Christian, they would say. But why does Chuck keep saying, I know the end is just around the corner? I'm listening to the tapes that he, he recorded in the 70s. As I'm listening, I know it's just around the corner, he would say. He'd say, I just want Jesus to come and take it away right now. And I would think, Chuck, why do you want him to come back? There are people who don't know the Lord yet. There are people, the way I thought then, who are going to go to hell forever and ever and ever, and you want him to come back now? I have a daughter who doesn't know him yet, and you want him to come back now? It was a crack. Time went on. I steeped myself in the Word. I preached it. I taught it. I read it. Cover to cover. Old Testament twice. New Testament ten times through studying it. And then I asked, I'm a Christian, but why don't I see God in the way that my brothers and sisters do relative to creedal Trinitarianism. When I read the book and study the book myself, I do not, having not cut my teeth on creedal Trinitarianism, see him in the same way. I try, I, and, and, and even if you go back to our old shows where we were talking about Mormonism and I, I would spend time talking about the Trinity, I was describing exactly what I still describe today. But people never really called me on it until I said, oh, I don't embrace the Trinity when I later learned what creedal Trinitarianism really teaches. I'm a Christian guard, God from the heart, but how come when I read the Bible from the Greek, I do not see hell lasting forever and ever and ever and ever. And I see God reconciling all people to himself. Why do I see that and other people see something differently? And we have these differences. God in heaven, I love and believe in you completely. I want to I wanna serve you. But why does the Bible contextually show that everything has been accomplished? Everything in that book is done. Everything. The history's over. And now it's just incumbent upon those who believe to walk in faith and love. Why do we keep going back? How come I read it that way? What was it that opened up? So I went from Mormonism, which claims to be the restoration of Jesus' church, and that's a laughable retro retrospect when you look at it. And then coming to know Jesus from the Spirit and embracing the religious product called Protestantism and, and Protestant offshoots. Uh, uh, so I'm left that that didn't work. 
Those cracks didn't work. There has to be more people who this is happening to who love Jesus. So sitting here looking at this camera and trying to convey to any and all who will he see the grand theme of Christianity today. What's the grand theme after all of this? Is Jesus Lord, Savior, King, unquestionably? He's my God and King. I, I, presents me justified and sanctified before the Father. Is the Bible the Word of God? Without a doubt. We read with the Spirit. It's perfectly composed. Whatever translation, whatever language, it sanctifies the heart of all those who are His. I trust it. I rely upon it. I, I study it. But amidst these grand themes of, that are past and present, what needs to happen in light of all that stuff? And, and the absolute need to go, in my opinion, from uh, reformation and then restoration in the 1800s to complete deconstruction. I think deconstruction is, is, the, is, is the call today. And I pray it happens. I pray that the Christian community, the evangelicals, will deconstruct. And they'll allow all the things that they have built up, created, are continuing to keep alive, the different trends, the different non-biblical things, that it will completely deconstruct. Let me explain why. If we allow ourselves to let go of our egos, and if we allow ourselves to believe that the Bible is God's word, which has tremendous purpose for us today, and it's all spiritually present for us and not a manual for doing brick and mortar church, we will as a people be in a position to let what has been creative deconstruct upon itself, freeing us to be Christians that we have been meant to be. We have been meant to be this type of Christian. And let me support this by the grand narrative of the Bible, quickly. I talked about this Sunday, but when Jesus was on the earth, he said to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what he said to Peter. And, and later, Jesus speaks of the same thing to the hands of the apostles. He gives them the same power. And that was his church. What was the church? It was the apostolic church. And his apostles were sent out into the world to gather in as many Jews as would believe on him. And Paul was sent to as many Gentiles as would believe on him at that time. And Jesus called Paul to specifically reach them. In my estimation, what Jesus said in Matthew was true. The gates of hell did not touch that apostolic church. And those guys went out, they gave their lives for it. And under apostolic direction, the gates of hell didn't touch it. And then Jesus, as promised, he came and he took that church. That church, right up. And he saved it from the imminent destruction of Rome that he promised would come. And again in the New Testament, the believers were his church and the gates of hell didn't prevail against it. Just when things got really ugly and the temple was destroyed and the nation of Israel was wiped out and the genealogies were wiped out and everything was on fire and blood was up to their thighs, Jesus took his church that the gates of hell could not prevail against, and he took it with him. And since then, there is not a difference between Jews and Gentiles, women or men, bond or free in Christ. This was the church's reward the apostles preached for waiting for him. Wait for him in faith, and he will save us. That was what he came. 
Once Jesus came to Jerusalem and took the apostolic church away, I would humbly suggest that the gates of hell have done nothing but reign in what people have called his church. And all you need to do is go back and look at the Catholic uh, church at the beginnings there and look at every single institution thereafter. Every single institution thereafter, there has been corruption. Every single one. And that corruption means to me the gates of hell prevailed. Okay? The gates of hell did not prevail against those who were believers during the apostolic years. The examples are so heinous, it's really amazing. Stay with me. What has continued on, though, from Pentecost until today is his body of believers made of different members, you, me, others. We are members of his body. There are some people who live in uh, Arabia who are his ears. There are people who live in Washington, uh, D.C. who are his feet. There are people who are his intestines. There are people who are his this and that. It's a worldwide body of believers, nothing to do with the brick and uh, mortar. Take notice what happened at the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on people who were waiting to believe and it, and it converted them. And from that point forward, the Holy Spirit has been in charge of converting. Churches have had nothing to do with it. There was no church established at the first miracle of the, of the birth of the church. It was right there. There's no church. It was just people standing there. Okay? So attempts to continue the brick and mortar have been a fail since 70 AD. A rotten fail, to tell you the truth. I mean, we pick on the Catholics, but if you look at the Protestant Reformation, uh, there is horrible stuff there as well. Okay, so in this day, we are not one bit unlike the day of Pentecost all the way forward to now because we are created by him in the spirit we make up his body we make up the temple as believers when we allow ourselves to believe that Jesus has a brick-and-mortar church on earth and continued from Pentecost and built up into this day we have to support the idea of that material physical church with claims of superiority. We have to say, look how much good our church does. That has never been what Christianity has been about. We have to say, look at how many people belong to our church, appealing to numbers. That has never been what the church has been about. We have to say, look at the lifestyle of the members of our church and what they are like. So we appeal to the flesh because we're talking about flesh. And we have to say, look how wealthy our church is. Because we can say, when we're wealthy, that means God loves us. Never has that been the predictor for the true church. Actually, if you look at the first church, it was nothing but suffering. They were waiting. They were dying on the vine. Every epistle says it. Hang on. They were suffering extremely. But the comfortable churches that, 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 that they justify themselves... They go against few be there that find it. The poor, not the rich of this world. That is, that's just all through the New Testament. It is not the wealthy. It's the poor. The sinner strong in faith, not the, not the saints strong in themselves. This is the message. All these things appeal to the physical church, and we have to quantify those things by material, physical means to justify them. The, the church is of the Spirit. The body is of the Spirit. It's all people who have been converted by the Spirit and therefore love. Uh, we'll wrap this up, but 
I just want you to consider, imagine this. Just try and we'll wrap it up. Every pastor, we'll just start with America. Forget Utah. Every pastor in America says, okay, let's deconstruct. We are going to deconstruct what we have created. And so they say, what we're going to do is we're going to teach the Word of God on Sundays the best we can. We're going to differ with each other, but we'll teach the best we can. We're going to let people grow and hear as they are led by the Spirit. We're going to do away with all the construction of rules and laws that we have applied to people. No matter what they are, we're going to let the people decide how they are going to respond to the word that they hear. We're going to sell off our inordinately appointed large buildings and edifices. We're going to downsize our massive overheads. And we are going to get rid of our staffs. We, staffs. we don't have to have a 30-person staff. We need to have someone who does the accounting, someone who runs the equipment, someone who teaches the Word. And then you leave it in the hands of the people to do what they want to do with their walk. They agree to that, and so they cut out all that overhead and all that stuff. And, and then, because the overhead's lessened, we stop passing plates, we stop preaching tithing, we stop making demands on conformity, we let the people be responsible for who they are, we'll take the money that we gather from the downsizing, and we'll help replace or replicate that model to other places that don't have uh, 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 the, the word being taught. So all the body is doing in the United States is it is teaching the word to their congregants. It's not a social club. It's not a place for people to go and have movie night. It's not a place for them to have programs. It's, it's to hear the word of God. That's the revolution. That's the deconstruction. Imagine if every pastor agreed to do that. It would be a phenomenal thing. But I can tell you this. Why won't it work? For several reasons. First of all, all the pastors would never agree to it. Why would they? They've got a good thing going. Why would they mess up what they've got? But even if they did, if everybody deconstructed, I can guarantee you somebody would watch what was going on and say, I can do church better. I can, I can, I can do something that will offer the people more. Uh, why, I can offer a church that offers better refreshments or better Starbucks coffee instead of our homegrown. Or I can do this, or we can do that. And then you start appealing to people on their flesh, and then you start appealing to people on their want for luxury, and to be cool, we can get a better Christian band than what our little uh, homegrown uh, band is. And all of this stuff starts building, and somebody will say, don't be part of that deconstruction uh, movement. Be part of what we've got. Now, they may do that out of the goodness of their heart. They may do it because they really believe they can reach more people that way. I get that. I understand that. Nevertheless, that is why this probably won't work. And that's probably why we're at where we're at today. And God has allowed it. But I am I'm convinced that people will constantly, who are His, search for the truth. And when they go into the places of show, they will say, something's wrong they'll see the crack in the grand scheme that they are, have seen and they'll say they're either going to justify those cracks 
and say, well, it serves me, or they're going to say, no, it doesn't serve me. It, 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 it needs to serve God. I'm not going to put up with it. I hope we get to the time soon that more people do that. I pray that we reject the materialism in every sense that goes along with Christianity today. I pray that the pastors of the sheep will embrace subjective Christian approach and let people think and voice opinions that they want and not build empires on opinions that must be kept and doctrines that must be embraced. I push and pray for the watching world to look for believers, uh, to see people who have faith and who have love and not for any other thing. I look for the day, I pray for the day when people will say Christians aren't known for their hatred for homosexuals and abortion and drug users and divorce and all these other things. And instead they'll be known for their love for all human beings and especially their love for God. When will we be known for those things? I think it's gonna take a total deconstruction and an approach to the faith uh, that is subjective. So let's open up the phone lines um, before 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. Before we go to the spot, I want to read an email. Uh, or we, This came in from Bill Heaton in Temecula. This is Bill. I had to ask you to articulate Oh, about the meaning of God's words in Genesis about in our image. I appreciate your response. He called last week. Would you consider that he was referring to the word and possibly the spirit. I absolutely would consider that. Yes, absolutely. No question. Uh, but I did get another email from someone else who gave me about eight, ten different views that are out there on what that actually means from a scholarly perspective, from an apologist perspective. They're all different. So, I, I, uh, Bill, I certainly see it's very possible that, that it was the Word of God and the Spirit. And I, I actually see it that way. I do. I see it as that. But I just try to say we really don't know because we aren't sure. It doesn't tell us. All right, let's take a look at this spot. We'll come back and take your calls. Listen, before we go to Jessica in East Bay, California, and Mark in Edmonton, Canada, uh, I want you to know that I was start, I'm starting to get a little worried about the end of the world, and so I started to do my Christmas shopping early, and, uh, and uh, I found this the perfect gift for my brother, who I love, Brother Matt Slick. I'm going to get him some cologne. Here it is. Let's take a look at this. Uh, this is the cologne I'm getting, Matt. Somewhere is the cologne. Maybe it's been raptured. Uh, and there, there we go. Uh, Irresistible Grace for elect for the Elect Man. It's by John Calvin Klein, and uh, <laughs> I think it would be a perfect gift for Brother Matt Slick to wear, and uh, because he is an Elect Man. And uh, there you go. But up. All right, let's go to Jessica in East Bay, California. Jessica, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. 
Hi. I called in. I know you get a lot of angry people. I'm not one of them today. Good. Um, I called in. I might have been, uh, you know, even just a few months ago, but um, I watched some of your older YouTube videos. Um, and the one that really helped me was when you had, I mean, all of them are great. Um, but you had on a Dr. Josh, I don't know his last name, but he talked about um, Dr. Uh, Stephen Hassan's book and the bite model. Yeah. Um, and that was very eye-opening for me. Um, I had had some questions and things weren't making sense for me, but when I saw that, it was just, you know, really, really helpful. So I think you're doing an honorable thing. I know... Um, People don't like to hear it, but I appreciate it. Thanks, Jessica. I appreciate you watching. And you know, uh, the, some of the guests we've had on, and I really I, I want to make 2016, if we're still here, a. Uh, a <laughs> sorry, I can't stop. It's just like I can't. Uh, but if we're still here, I want to make 2016 a show of guests. And I hope I can get the, the people on here. I, we have some good ones out there. Because those guest shows, I have to admit, uh, they reach people. When we've had different people on, uh, especially if we can talk back and forth. Uh, so we're going to try to do more of that. I know that Bishop Earl's 17 Minutes has been really effective in reaching people. Uh, and I know that Josh is, he doesn't want to be known by his last name because he's a, he's oh. a medical doctor. And so it's I good see. you can't remember it. But I'm glad that helped. I'm sure that will please him. Okay, well, thank you for Thanks, Jessica. what you're doing. Thanks. We'll see Thanks. you later. Listen, uh, we have a little audio clip. Apparently, uh, Glenn Beck is trying to raise $2 million for something. I don't know what it is. And uh, you got to listen to this. Just listen to this little sound bite of what he says in his petition to raise the money. Are we want me to do it? I think we lost it. I have it on my phone. So while we take a Mark in Edmonton, Canada, I'll try to bring it up on my phone. Mark, you are on Heart of the Matter. Okay, let me just turn this down here. There we go. Okay, Mark. Um, I would like to just uh, ask a question. Well, first of all, I want to thank you because I came out of Mormonism after 35 years, baptized a Christian last July. Fantastic. And uh, because of your uh, archives, which I got introduced to, it changed my life. So thank you. Oh, praise God. Thank you. And uh, now I have a question about Elijah the prophet. We're going to talk, so I think it's at Malachi, or I think it talks about the re before the great and dreadful day of the coming of the Lord. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is there going to be another Elijah, or has that already happened? You're talking about a third Elijah. I get very confused about this. Uh, really plainly, Jesus tells us who that Elijah was in, in uh, Luke. And he says, uh, it's John the Baptist. I mean, he, he, he says, if you'll receive it, it's John the Baptist. He's come before the great and dreadful day. And so he's gonna, this Elijah was going to come before the Messiah, which John the Baptist did. The Messiah comes, and now they were waiting for the great and dreadful day, which was going to happen in 70 A.D., and that's the best contextual way to understand that. However, Mark, if you stay on the line, uh, we'll send you a copy of our book A to Z, 
Leave your uh, address with us, and that will give you a much more in-depth uh, explanation of that question. Sure, that sounds great. Thank you, Sean. Also, if I send the Canadian donations, uh, um, you won't have any money left. <laughs> what did you say? I said if I send, send to donate their Canadian donations, you won't have any money left out of it. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's always tension, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. What's okay. that? I said I really appreciate it. Stay on the line, and they'll take your uh, address. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. I can never right. find hold. Oh, okay. There it is. All right. I got the Glenn Beck here, the Glenn Beck thing right here. So we're going to do it this way. You ready? All right. that they will change their mind before we would have to go to a border. But I would like to raise $2 million. And you can go to now.mercuryone.org and donate what you can. Be a, Put your name, I'm telling you, in no uncertain terms, please hear the words of my mouth. This is the time you're going to have your name written in the book of life. Depending on what you do, this will be remembered in the eternities. Wow, that's a pretty strong appeal, wouldn't you say? You will be remembered in the book of life. I'm assuming he's speaking of the Lamb's book of life written in the book of Revelation if you support this, uh, this movement to raise $2 million. But the thing that is really, I'm sorry, it's just freaking sinister is that if you have been a temple attending Latter-day Saint, you will recognize code speech in that. And I am not some kind of, hey, hey, hey. But there's code speech in that because he said, hear the words of my mouth. That's what he said in his petition for the money. Hear the words of my mouth. In the temple, you say, oh God, hear the words of my mouth. And you repeat that three times. Hear the words of my mouth. And so Beck he inserted that into his plea for anyone who's of the church listening to hear what he had to say. Then he ties in the Lamb's Book of Life. This stuff is, is bloody sinister. I'm sorry. I don't want to judge, but it's just way too sinister for my uh, taste. Let's go to Steve from Rochester, Minnesota. Steve, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you doing, man? Doing well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I'll be real quick for you. I just have a couple things. Um, first thing is just uh, that, I don't know, I like uh, what you're doing with the show and everything. And um, also, uh, I just want to say I really like campus. Um, those, you know, I can't find a church really around in my area that I uh, can get on board with. But, uh, yeah, campus really helps. Um, and I just kind of wanted to give a shout-out to uh, anyone who's watching just uh, to go check out campus, you know. Um, Oh, and also, it's easier to find it if you go on YouTube and search Watch Campus, all one word. That's probably the easiest way to find it. But Thank yeah, you. Anyways, um, aside from that shout-out there, uh, I uh, just wanted to say also that uh, uh, I noticed some, uh, some cracks, too, in Christianity, you know, when I was a kid. And uh, I didn't really notice it until, um, you know, I got older and everything and realized, hey, I, you know, I, I kind of felt this all along. Um, with the, Even with, the, like, the end times... Uh, discussion and everything, you know. When I was a kid, I was like, well, you know, they thought uh, that he was going to come back right there, you know. 
how how come they you know they thought they thought that and and they weren't right what what makes us any better you know so, wow i don't know that's good so yeah. you, so even as a kid growing up as a christian you you could hear or you could see the cracks in the thing as well absolutely you know it it's even with uh you know the trinity uh too you know that's that was uh that was one that i didn't dare touch you know because that was uh everyone held that so dear so i didn't even i pushed those thoughts out of my mind you know even as a young kid but um yeah and it was just weird you know my mom would always tell me yeah they they thought they were coming that uh, jesus was coming back soon but really he he meant you know two thousand years later yeah. <laughs> and it didn't make sense to me so yeah you know. really appreciate the plug for campus steve hey no problem anytime any day i will do it god bless you my friend we'll talk to you later right. sounds good see ya Okay, bye-bye. Uh, Bo Chambers says, thank you for putting the words, what I felt for a long time. You speak my heart. Uh, praise God, that he, whatever happens, you know. And then, um, oh, I'm a pastor in California. Continues to be challenged by your teaching. Well, good, because I'm glad it challenges you for you to go and refute it and challenge it and test it and see what you find. And uh, you're going to differ with me on things, but we're looking and we're searching and we're not just taking the stuff and, and eating it because it's fed to us. Uh, really interesting that he mentioned the Trinity, our last caller, because, uh, I mean, I didn't realize, I didn't really, I'm pretty stupid. I did not realize that when I stepped up and said, yeah, I don't really believe in it, what would happen? I had no idea that this was such a holy stance and it's because I wasn't raised in it. So I just said what I thought, and man, it, it has really, it's hurt us big time in terms of our popularity, at least in this state. Uh, listen, as you grow in faith, your concepts and the way you see things change over time, and I want to give you an example of that, and I hear it all the time. We talk about people who have really, and you know, in the, in the vernacular, such radical faith stories, man. I mean, like, it's so radical. Uh, I mean, this dude, he was, he was addicted to heroin and he was, he was like in prostitution and living with, uh, with 400 amputee prostitutes. And it was just this most radical, God just came in and just took him. And he just came to know the Lord. And, and these testimonies are, they, 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 uh, they're systemic through the body in, in the testimony of the faith. And believe me, I was one of those people and still am in my flesh, so I get it. But I want to, you to point, I want to point something out to you. We are who Scripture says Jesus came for. When you're such a loser and you are broken and you are, life is turned on you and you keep failing people and you can't control your passions, Jesus is the reasonable answer. And so it's easy for us to see him. I don't think that's radical. I mean, it is radical in our own salvation experience. I love it. I'm grateful. But you want radical. How about someone who has it all together in their life? Someone who's not a pathetic sinner. Someone who's smart. Someone who has an education. Someone who's faithful to their wife. Someone who, who studies and reads and understands things. Those guys are the tough ones. That's the radical conversion story. I don't know why we just embrace things and just keep repeating what we do without really giving it some thought. Because when I see someone who has it all together come to the Lord, when I come to know them and I realize that they didn't come groveling and begging like we do, which is a good thing. God has set it up that way. 
but they came because they said, I need him when they didn't need to. Really, they realized they did. They realized through it all they did, and that's truth. But it wasn't from these exterior forces that brought them. That's a, 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 that's a miracle. That's why reaching LDS people is so difficult because many of them have it all together and they have no need for Jesus to reach down and grab them. So I just want to get, I just want to put that in your mind. We talk about these radical conversions. I think the most single most radical conversion is when someone who has lived their life pretty darn well comes to see the need for Jesus. That is perhaps the most radical conversion story I think we could ever hear. Uh, Mark in Salt Lake City is on the air. Let's take Mark. You're on the air, Marcus. Our sound man was in the back drinking a beer with the ladies. Now I'm hearing something. Mark, you're on the air. Okay, well, I shouldn't hear someone else talking. Uh, I want to talk about deconstruction. Yeah. And whether it's marriage or how we do church, I have this hypothesis that if the Bible is silent on something, it's because it's supposed to be universal or um, adaptable to different cultures. Huh. So they could do marriage in Japan or Asia or, in other words, what, what God doesn't say is important. What he does say about what marriage is, once you're married, is important also, but where it's silent, and we should allow. And if it doesn't say how to do church specifically, then maybe we should say, oh, well, maybe it's adaptable to each culture. Okay. That's part one. Let me make another thing on deconstruction. When you heard this several years ago on your TV show, you announced campus and that you were going to do things very differently. It was going to be a revolutionary new church. And I called in and I kind of challenged you. Sorry you got defensive that night. But I just said, you know, I totally support deconstruction. That's the kind of church I came to Christ in. I'm totally with you, but I think it's harder than what you're saying. I think you don't understand how hard it is. Sorry I made you defensive when I said that, but I think it is hard. And I think that if we're self-examining and honest, we'll find it a long journey. How's that? I think you're right. It is a long journey and from my perspective what makes it difficult is the constant uh, desire to uh, make things formulaic and systematize them in order to give people what they want in terms of religion because they like order and they want certainty and they like comfort and instead when you try to insist on breaking it down to the most common, basic common denominators found in Acts chapter 2 of preaching the word, praying, and getting out of Dodge, uh, it doesn't bode well for what people want these days out of their church. For me, that's the most difficult uh, thing in keeping uh, the, uh, church uh, integral and, and giving it integrity. Uh, that's the most difficult thing is to resist trying to make it bigger on our, in our own flesh. So I, I, if I was, if I was uh, and I'm sure I was, if I was surly with you on the show, uh, I apologize. I've been surly with many people on the show and in my life, and I hope that I have grown beyond that now by and through Christ Jesus. So t accept my apologies, Mark. Well, of course. Thank you. Thanks, man. Thanks for your insights. Appreciate it. Okay.
We have Jim in Cleveland, Ohio on line two. Jim, you're on Heart of the Matter. Sean, how are you? Doing well. How are you? Outstanding. Uh, uh, good show. Really great message tonight. Uh, I just want to compliment you on that. Uh, also, I love the cologne idea for, for Matt's leg. I think that's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure he'll appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, a quick question for you. Uh, um, what's your take on the, uh, you know, all this neo-gnosticism, this, this internet trend that's you know, flooded YouTube on, you know what I mean, Justin Beaver, Illuminati, uh, Virginia shooting hoaxes, and Book of Enoch. And I'll go ahead and hang up and, and just listen to your answer. Hey, thanks for watching, Jim, out in Cleveland. I have no idea. I, I, I'm not online uh, in forums or Facebook or Internet, and I don't know the trends of what's going on. Uh, Gnosticism has always existed. There's always groups who believe they have the secret information, the inside track to what is really working. And so I would guess the only thing I could say is that it's, it's always been around. And, uh, and I guess it will always be around. Uh, so, but I, I'm sorry, I should have cut you off. I didn't know you were gonna hang up so quickly, Jim. I wish I had a better answer, but I don't know much about it. Uh, a couple quick emails, um, and then we're going to do something called a random meandering. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is a person who's, this is interesting, when we get our emails in, we have people at all different places in the ministry. We have people who just stumble across our shows and they think that I am, uh, and they're LDS, and they're really mad at me uh, because they think I am, I'm right now doing the same thing. We have people who have watched for a long time. We have people who have been watching for a few months or even a few years. They don't know what we're doing here. But this is someone on YouTube. He said, I recently found, uh, I've seen a few of your clips, so maybe you've already approached this in the manner I want to suggest. At least he gives that. But I think it would be more effective if you concentrated on the first vision in the Book of Mormon. As you know, the Book of Mormon is the keystone to the LS religion, so is the first vision. You've attacked polygamy and uh, about Jesus being God, but as far as I've seen on your clips, this is not effective. LDS don't know the first vision, uh, uh, about the first vi version of the first vision. LDS don't know about the golden plates were preserved for almost 2,000 years, so Joseph could tr translate them by looking at a by a stick in his hat, or a stone in his hat. LDS don't know about view of the Hebrews. Uh, the late war of 1812, Stripling Warriors, the first book of Napoleon. They don't know about Lehi's dreams or Joseph's father's dreams. And, uh, and then he goes on and he sort of chides me uh, for my attention to these ancillary areas of Mormonism, saying they're not effective. Uh, and I will, I will say I, I think that, um, that you're, uh, striking really, you're striking at the root. And we, but we did cover uh, the Book of Mormon, and we called it the Book of Mormonian, and we peeled back the layers, and it took about, I don't know how many, 25 shows. It took a long time, and I think we got through all the pretty heavy stuff, and those are still on there, and maybe you're reaching those now. Uh, the reason I read this email is to illustrate a couple things. First, it's really important before we seek to direct people to make sure you know what, what's really going on, you know. Uh, what caused Dan to write me this before looking at, at everything that he uh, could, is that he's zealous and he wants to do good. And sometimes our zealousness, like, I've been guilty of this, that my zealousness has, has exceeded uh, my love or my, uh, my wisdom or my patience. 
So uh, he's come to know the truth of Mormonism, and it's filled him with a desire to, to share, and I get that. But all those shows are there for, for the taking. Keep looking at them. And uh, due to the work of Sander Tanner and, and Bill McKeever and people who are still in those trenches doing that work, uh, it's okay. It's great. It's fine. I think Mormonism does not need any more attention. I think Mormonism is in the middle of a huge um, Bruce Jenner type change. <laughs> I think Mormonism is going to be putting on a wig and a dress pretty soon because it has had its head handed to it. It is scrambling. I think that they are going to survive, but I think they're going to survive in a unique way. I know from the local level the same stuff is still going on. I have people call me and say, I just went to an LDS meeting, I went to the ward, they're still doing this, they're still doing that, but at the top it's trickling down, and I think they're, with the advent of the internet uh, reaching so many youth, I think the church is going to change as the youth grow up and start to see what, uh, start to implement these cracks that they've been seeing for such a long time. Derek, how much time? Two and a half minutes. Uh, let me just give you, I, I think we need a little tiny uh, a graphic here, Seth. I'll talk to Cassidy, called Random Meanderings. It's like uh, on Saturday Night Live when they had uh, Deep Thoughts with Jack Handy. This is Random Meanderings. The second great commandment, the first is like unto the first. The first is love Lord thy God with all your heart. And the second is thou shalt love shall love your neighbor as yourself. Shall love. In the history of love, no one, I don't think, has ever come up with you shall love. They've come up with we know what love is. They've promoted romantic love, ad nauseum. We talk about the feelings of love. We all have known what that is. But no philosopher has come up with the idea that you shall love. Now this isn't original to me because Kierkegaard talked about this, but we understand romantic love and all the enjoyable forms, they're wonderful, but they're unreliable. The reason they're unreliable is because they will change. They morph. They can turn into greater love. They can turn into lesser love. They can become conditional. Love can turn into hatred. It's still a love, but it's a kind of love that has gone, that has become corrupted. And so you still have the passion for the person, but you have a passion that's corrupted and mean and evil. It's an attention. So only when love is accepted by us through the Spirit, listen, as a duty, as an obligation, only when we receive it from God, when He says, you shall, do we take love and realize it will not fail. When we allow it to be this kind of ethereal feeling thing based off circumstance and emotions, it's gonna fail us. But when we take it and use it God's way, which can only happen freely by the Holy Spirit, when God freely converts our love to be you shall, love is eternal. It will not ever fail when your love moves into that. Something to think about. Join us next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going nowhere I am an existential cowboy on the way